Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world, Streakers. We are so glad to have you on the podcast today with us and listening in to a conversation that we're going to have with an individual who is quite remarkable. He is an individual that has traveled the globe, consults leaders all over the world, has had massive experience in all kinds of different walks of life, and he also, just so you know, is really near and dear to our heart because he's a Brandon Sanderson fan, oh, as we are. Huge, huge <laughs> fan. <laughs> he also is married and has four children. We're going to get into his life and everything that he is doing. Let's welcome to the Streaking Show, Mr. Scott Wozniak. What is streaking and why should you do it? Streaking is how you set up personal winning streaks. Look at who you want to be and what you need to do to become that person. This is Streaking. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jamie. And we are Streakers. Through 30 years of marriage and seven children, we have learned the power of consecutive consistency or streaking. To start streaking is simple. You just follow these three laws. Make it laughably simple. Keep a record and join the streaking community. Streaking is your hidden superpower. With it, you will consistently progress and grow in whatever area of life you want. In this podcast, Jeff and I will share all the fun, exciting, serious, solemn, wonderful parts of family, spiritual, professional, and personal life, and how streaking powers it all. So join us in the conversation, join the movement, and start streaking today. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I'm super excited to be here with you. Bunny, I, I don't think I told you this. Yesterday, I was talking to somebody else on another podcast, and we talked about streaking and the insight. I, I will say there's a funny moment because for a second, the other person didn't understand, and they were like, I don't I don't see how running around naked is a good leadership. <laughs> like, no, no, bear with me. There's a cool concept here. So, uh, yeah, what you guys are doing is making a difference. Uh, That's awesome. Talking about it. Well, thank you. And thanks for joining us today. So let's get started. Just walk us through, first of all, your early life was quite an adventure. I mean, you were introduced to many things. Walk us a little bit through that and how that led you to where you are today. Yeah. So my early years were as a child actor, singer. Um, so my mom was a theater director. And when I was four, I got my first speaking role in a play. And Honestly, I'm not, I don't even think there was like a, an audition. I think it was like, listen, we got a kid role. He's already here at the practices anyway. Like, man, just let him say the lines. Um, and man, you know, what, what do you say to a kid who doesn't throw up, right? When he does his line, right? you say like, hey, you did great. You got the part. Right. So with all the, uh, the critical analysis of a four-year-old, I'm like, everyone tells me I'm pretty good at this. I should do it. Um, so I did another play at five. And by the time I was 10, I was doing private lessons and winning regional competitions. And then- wow. I got into a music group and we toured all over the country and recorded CDs and then um, got on a, a show. I ended up on a Christmas special for NBC in high school. And I mean, it was just a, a non, I mean, so I, all this while I'm trying to go to school, I homeschooled for a while to make some of that happen. And then, um, yeah, I played sports and hung out with my friends and then, oh yeah, on the side, I would take off and do a tour or spend uh, three months in a show. So it was, it was, um, it was like half normal and half completely odd childhood. It was quite an experience. So, so you, but at one point, so you didn't continue down that path though. So you were in yeah. it, you were touring and everything, but you, you at one point said, well, I don't think this life is the life for me. 
Yeah. And um, I was in my 20s. I mean, it was I, I, I ran for a while. So I went and got a degree, my, my college degree. I tend to not bring this up early with my clients because what I do now is so different. Um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of want you to take me seriously before I tell you what I got my college degree in. But my degree is musical theater performance uh, with a with a minor in classical music composition and biblical studies. I mean, there's there's like that is great. Almost no direct correlations between that and what I do today. So, yeah, I was all in. Let's go with this wild, weird world. And I woke up one day in the middle of I started doing it professional going, you know, I don't think I love this. I, everyone kept saying you should do it. And I kept I kept I got lead roles. I was a, a lead in 60 plus shows and. So, I mean, it was working, but at the same time, it was like, I think I'd rather do this other stuff. And my passion, I kept like wishing practice would get over so I could get back to these side gigs I was doing and started thinking, maybe, maybe this isn't actually what God called me to do with my life. And that, of course, begs the huge question, what, what does God want me <laughs> right. to do? Um, yeah, but no, it was, it was a little bit of a, a terrifying moment of like, well, this is all I've done. I got a degree in it. I there's not a lot of direct correlation from my degree to any other career field. It was pretty niche. So what do you do? And it, it was, um, it was a little scary, but what were, what were some of your side gigs that you were doing? Like, what was it that you were finding that you're like, I want to be more interested in this? Yeah. So two things. Um, one, I went and worked in the summers for a Christian sports camp. Um, okay. and so, uh, and, and I, I, you know, I started off doing kind of like their program stuff, which is what they call kind of the stage and the skits and the evening shows. But by the end of that time, I was actually the, uh, high ropes guy. So I ran their kind of climbing, repelling, spelunking oh, wow. program for one of the camps, which not anything to do with the direct <laughs> stage, but I loved it. I loved the challenge. I loved pulling the crew together, the bonding and what some of what I realized was, oh, I think part of what I love about theater is just the gathering of a team, putting mm -hmm. a project plan together, creating something that's never been done before, going through a crucible experience together. And I, I was doing that and discovered I love it just as much if we're going through a cave as I do if we're putting on a show. It, it's the the building and creating of that culture was what I loved. Um, and I was like, oh, there's anything to do with the show that I love. I, the show stuff was the least exciting part to me. So that, that was one piece of it. Um, and then I, I did grow up um, in a home that really valued kind of the church and, and philanthropy and uh, volunteering. My family was always doing some sort of extra activities. Um, so I started working with some inner city youth and um, man, I just, my heart went out to those kids. Um, and I, I, some of those boys who'd lost their father and I was kind of a surrogate father figure, um, you know, somewhere between big brother and father I was in my twenties. And Man, it was uh, more motivating and exciting. I'd spend my free time thinking, how do I make a difference? What extra stuff can I do with them? And so trying try to figure out how to make a difference in the world and do all that. Right. And it, I think you can make a difference on stage. But but what I realized is there's lots of other ways to make a difference, have impact. So I, I don't want to say that um, stage is, is for folks who can't make a difference. But for me, the kinds of things that I loved about it didn't have anything to do with the actual performing. Right. Yeah. I find it fascinating. Do you feel like you figured that out in your twenties or do you feel like looking back, you're like, okay, this is, this is what was happening. Or did you figure out in your twenties that you loved bringing people together and having a crucible experience? Cause that's a pretty amazing thing to figure out. Yeah, no, that's a really insightful question, Jamie, that I, 
I think that one came at my next major transition. So my twenties, I really think the only thing I figured out was I more motivated and excited about doing this pouring into kids thing. Um, the team, the culture, the challenge that came when I made my shift away from nonprofit into the kind of stuff I'm doing now. Okay. Uh, so yeah, no, that is like, now I look back and I'm like, oh, I'm oh, beginning is... to see the pattern. But at the time, all I knew was I'd much rather be over here than there. And so maybe I'm on the wrong career path. If, if I keep thinking, man, how do I get out of my job faster to go do my volunteer work? Like, yeah. What, what if I figure, what if I flipped that? Um, right, right. Sorry about that. <laughs> I- I turned mine off. I know. I apologize. Yeah, I think Scott turned his off too. I, so. I am now checking my phone to make sure. It's <laughs> That's funny. That is amazing. I love, first of all, I love that you had the courage and, and would you look at it and be like, was it courage or was it kind of that thing that you have when you're in your twenties where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to try something different. Let's, let's go out there and do it. Cause I feel like I had that and and then I've spent a lot of time going back and being like, can I capture that courage that I used to have without thinking so much about it? <laughs> yeah, I think your your question's <laughs> insightful again. I I have made a couple of other big shifts since then. Like I I, I alluded to that a second ago, right? Yeah. And I think they got scarier as I got older. Um, yeah. Kids in tow. And like, if I mess this up, it's not just me. It's my kids who are going to pay some of the price for that. And um, and, and the time sense of like, when you're in your twenties, you're like, ah, I still got my whole life ahead of me and Yeah, take big shifts in your forties. And you're thinking, man, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of time to waste on a bad move here. So, um, I do think the fear factor goes up. However, what I, I hopefully has happened for me is my courage has also grown a little bit as well. Yeah. So maybe it was more scary, but I also had a little more wisdom to be able to look back and be like, yeah. It, every time I have made a leap like this, where it's where it's my heart, where the strategy, where it all, where prayer, it all aligns and says go, and it's still terrifying. Every time I've taken that leap, it has paid off, and I've been glad I did it. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's harder, and yet now I'm like, I guess I'm I'm less uh, less bothered by the fear. I mean, I was just right. talking about this last night, yeah. and I'm like, listen, we were talking through Joshua and Caleb. Yeah. Um, which are some of my favorite stories from the old days and uh, ancient Bible stories. But, yep, but one of the things they dealt was they faced these giants. Um, yep. If you want to read the story, they go check yeah. out the land and there's these giants in the land and everyone else is like, oh no, giants. Giants, we're not going. <laughs> Run away. <laughs> like, ah, we got them. We can take, I mean, yes, there's giants. I'm not going to lie. Like let's face the facts, but I think we can handle this. And so, yeah. so that was what I was telling my son is on the other side of fear is a really amazing life. Yeah. Um, you, you sometimes have to go through that fear part. Like, yeah, I wish, I wish there was a way around it or over it, but, but I'm learning like now sometimes um, the unknown that that transition window, just like, look on the other side of this, this swamp of fear, there's a really glorious place to hang out. Um, yeah. It's got to march through it sometimes. So there was a point you mentioned about your degree and, and how it was in theater and that type of thing. So there was a point in your life where you had to, look at what you had done and say, I'm okay with myself. I can consult. I can work with other leaders. I mean, that that somewhat resonates the walking through that path of fear and saying, I can do this. And the question that I had is, how did you turn that to confidence? How did you be like, you know what, I can do this and people can benefit from it? Yeah. And, and it was, it was a big turn um, because 
how I woke up to this. So I'm in this kind of nonprofit world, working with kids, uh, running this youth program. And honestly, I really, I worked for some really nice guys who had great hearts and big noble causes and were terrible leaders. Um, <laughs> okay. Let's just be real clear. <laughs> like, like really. And one of those was me. Um, like I, I was noble and inspirational and, and I had a big blow up. I saw a couple of bad bosses and I was complaining about my bosses. And then I had my team blow up at me and we had this huge throwdown. And I mean, it, this is a drama. Two of my staff started meeting with two of the board members and two volunteers. And this group of six gathered for six months, a bunch of evidence, how bad of a leader I was. And we had a oh, big surprise wow. showdown with the board to get me fired. I mean, it was so I ended up not being fired. Some of the stuff was like, really, that's your complaint? No, but but some of the stuff was legit. I mean, we went on a big youth trip event, gathered all the vans, took the kids off, and I left the door to our youth building open. I don't mean unlocked. I mean, propped open. <laughs> I'm back three days later, doors open, leaves have blown in. You're like, oh, how much got stolen, right? Like, it was not good. Um, but it was, again, not a moral failure, not bad. Right. Like, couldn't make one guy couldn't make decisions, right? Wouldn't wouldn't pick a side, wouldn't choose. We didn't know what we were doing. Everybody's idea was valid, even when they conflicted. Another guy tried to micromanage every step, and we all felt like constantly un, afraid of making a choice if he didn't like it. And again, not not bad people. I liked them out of work. Still, some of these guys are still my friends today. But but between me and them, honestly, I started not from a place of like. Oh, I, uh, I've got some real wisdom I should share with all those other people. <laughs> it's like, yes. Oh, snap. I better figure this out. Um, and it's not just, do you care enough? It wasn't just, are you on the right mission? Are you working hard? It was this. So honestly, I was talking to a mentor about it and I'm like, I don't even know what it is. And they handed me a business book. And at first I was like, Oh no, no, you don't get it. I I'm an arts uh, nonprofit. It's, <laughs> I don't do this math accounting stuff. And they're like, just read the book. <laughs> and I, I stayed up reading that book till 2 a.m. Like it was a novel because I finally had words for the stuff that I was wrestling with. Mm -hmm. And so then I, I started reading another book and another book and I got a coach and going to workshops. And I started learning this stuff and changing my leadership and seeing my team change and and honestly, it was out of this place. I'm kind of like shaking my fist going, it's not right that, that the, the world's held back for bad leaders and somebody ought to do something and build great. Or who's helping these people? And I kind of felt like God is, was just elbowing me going, yeah, somebody ought to do something. Somebody ought to do something there. <laughs> so out of my failure, I started trying to survive. Out of that learning, I started saying, man, somebody should help people like I've been helped. And that's honestly become my passion and calling is, man, how do I come alongside leaders um, and help them maybe avoid the pit or at least go, spend less time in that pit that I did and get to the other side? And so so eventually then I go back to school. Um, I got a master's in business with an emphasis in organizational leadership. So I have a little something on the resume and actually learned some serious skills. Um, and then one of my professors asked me to start working on the side with him while I was in my second year of grad school. When I graduated, he hired me full-time um, and, and so that really it was, it was, he was a big part of just saying, you've got this, I want you to help me coach these guys or train on these projects. And, and by the time I graduated, um, not only did I have a, a paper degree that said, I knew knowledge about this stuff. I was already, you know, a full practicing it in a whole other world. So, so mm -hmm. I had some really powerful mentors from handing me a book to saying, Hey, come work with me on this project. 
Um, but it didn't, it didn't start like, man, I think I've got great skills. It's the opposite of how my theater thing happened, right? Like the, right. the stuff was, look at how great I am. I should go do this. This was the like, oh man, I really am not good. I better figure that out. And, and honestly, Jeff, I will say that back to your question, some of my confidence today comes from, Hey, I had to learn every single step of this thing. So guess what? It's actually easier for me to explain it to people. Um, sometimes I run across people who are leaders. I work with CEOs who are so good at something. They're like, what? Like you just organize the project. And right. Do they don't what? know what you, they do. You just sell. I don't understand why this is so hard. And they can't explain because it's so intuitive. Right. Uh, so in a weird way, part of why I think I'm helpful to leaders is because dang it, I had to learn every bit of this the hard way. And so now I can go back and describe that and be like, oh, I've, in fact, I have a whole book on this called how to fail as a leader. And it's just like all the big mistakes I made. And maybe you can learn a little from it. Um, so yeah, that's what I was going to say is you, you have a couple of books out there on this, how to fail as a leader. And then yeah. what was the other, there was, there's one you're working on right now as well. Yeah. Right? So the one I'm working on now, the, the working title is the customer experience engine. My publishers uh, got three or four other options. So we'll see, but it's about this engine for how you, the five systems that allow you to create these amazing customer experiences. It's not magic. It's not just caring a lot. It's not even about a special product. There's a way to wrap stuff around it that says even been, you know, there's companies that are very basic commodities that just do an amazing job. Um, one of the ones, I don't know if you guys have run across a Bucky's gas station. Um, but if it's like, if you've not been to Bucky's, you got to check this thing out. Cause if you're going to pick an industry and say, you can't create amazing fans, you, you probably pick gas stations, right? Like everybody's gas the same. <laughs> right. It's a commodity. Nobody wants to get Nobody, gas. Yeah. What's closest and cheapest is what Thank people you. look at. <laughs> and Bucky's has raving fans like people taking pictures in front of the store and people going like a day trip like hey let's just go visit a bucky's for fun and like what where are they located because you brought that up and i'm like i don't think i've ever been to one but i've had somebody say you have to go to bucky's i'm like i don't even know what this is and i love it in part because it's so out of left field like that's the wrong industry like you just give up right right Be, be simple who cares about gas and they're blowing people's minds so bucky's is based in texas and they are slowly expanding uh, to the east along the south. So they just built their second one in Georgia near the Atlanta area where I live. Um, okay, great. But yeah, it's nuts. I mean, for six months, people would post on Facebook selfies in front of the construction site. Can't wait. It's coming. <laughs> like for nobody does that for an Exxon, right? No. Like, yeah, Chevron's <laughs> here, everybody. <laughs> um, so, so it's about that. It's about how brands like that, but, but manufacturing brands and Chick-fil-A and Disney, and how do these guys actually do it? Right. Uh, then the book, that one's coming out. We're, we're finishing okay. up the publishing process. It'll be out probably early next year. Um, they, the other book I wrote is called The Cornerstone Path, and yes. it's for leaders in the middle. Okay. So how do you actually lead when you're not the big boss? Most of these leadership books is like, set your vision and rearrange your team. And you're like, what if I'm not in charge of the business? Right. <laughs> what if I, I have limited, I can hire or fire a couple of people, but I, I got to get permission for everything. Like, how do you do big technical things from the middle? What are the tactics? What are the tools? Um, and, and so far, the the how to fail as a leader and these the cornerstone path, they're both fables. So I do, so I draw on my background from yeah, time to right. time. Yeah. So they're like stories and, uh, you know, the, how to fail as a leader is actually in a fictional medieval kingdom with battles and, Fair warning, not all the 
characters live to the end of the book. Um, <laughs> oh, great. Oh, wow. Pretty intense. Um, That's awesome. It's not your normal little deal. Uh, but yeah, it. so I have a lot of fun with the story side. Um, but yeah, it's um, writing's been one of those things that has kind of grown over time. I, I love, I read a lot. I have a lot of content. I learn a lot. I, my job involves going inside other companies and figuring out how they work. And so, so I have this steady stream of, of ideas that flow and and the discipline of capturing them is honestly as good for me as it is. Oh, hey, people, somebody else wants to read this too. So yeah, right. yeah that's fantastic. It's been a fun bonus. So so the question I have for you at, you know, we're we are obviously highly interested in consistency. I mean, mm -hmm. consistency, consecutive, that's something we look at. And and sorry, just a little side note. I think the reason we're so highly interested in it is because we were so bad at it. <laughs> so as you were talking, it's the same thing. I'm like. Streaking came along because we reached a point where we're like, we, we need we're just help. Not good at this. We're, we are not doing well. <laughs> There's got to be a way to do this better. So go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So, so the question I had for you is as you work with individuals who are either transitioning into being a leader or are that leader in the middle, what are some of the things that you ask them to do or that you consult them to do consistently that will, that will help them move along that path and to learn what they need to know. Man, I, I this is huge. I use this a lot. Um, so we talk a lot about consistency on two ends. Consistency on yourself, how you the inputs that you get into yourself, and then the consistency that you deliver to the people you serve, whether you're a leader serving your staff or whether you're directly serving customers. Um, in fact, we, we talk about this. We say that, that at the heart of all this customer impact and great experiences, um, the biggest of this little engine we draw, the kind of the customer experience engine and the biggest gear of the engine by far, like bigger than all the other gears put together is what we call operational excellence. And at the heart of operational excellence, I say, hey, when we think about that, most of our instinct is to think, hey, how skilled can I be, right? How, right. how much talent or my tech, what's my best day, right? And that, that's how excellent we are. And what, so honestly, fair warning, I pick on McDonald's a little bit. Uh, I do like <laughs> McDonald's. I grew up as it's like, it was a special treat and I, they're a decent business. They make money. Like it's not a bad setup, but it is an interesting comparison to Chick-fil-A where I spent a lot of years as a senior leader. And so, so my Chick-fil-A McDonald's, it, it's like kind of like the two ways to win in your category. You could be the cheap basic one and you can be the premium, you know, high quality one. And I, I like to skew the Chick-fil-A way. Um, and so I pick on McDonald's, be like, hey, their quality's not great. And the thing though is their quality isn't bad. The problem is not that I so McDonald's fries, right? If you've gone in and just happened to catch them when those fries, I mean, they just drop sun. I mean, those, those, <laughs> those yeah. hey, this is so true because they can be the best fries, or I can have a bite and think, I swear they used yesterday's oil. Yes, yes. But no, you can't and know. And I've had times where I've gone in and I'm just stopped by McDonald's because I had nowhere else to go and the fries were amazing. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I've had times where I'm like, I need those McDonald's fries. And I go and get them. And I'm like, why don't you just scrape the top of my mouth off with the grease? They're awful. It's so frustrating because so, you're right. It's so true. And here's the big insight. It's not that they're never good. It's that they're exactly. inconsistently good. Yep. And we only give them credit for their worst day, not their best day. Yeah. So, so if you want to boil it all down, what I talk about, what's important when you talk about consistency and building this over time is that being inconsistently excellent earns you the same amount of trust and respect as being consistently bad. Wow, wow. that's good. Doesn't matter that I, your fries are good. Sometimes 
it, the question they're asking is, can I trust you? Mm-hmm. And you don't trust McDonald's fries. Yeah. I mean, I hope once in a while, and if it's all I got, I'll roll the dice on them. But but the difference. So consistency is not. It's not just an incremental improvement. It puts you in a different category mm-hmm. where you say, "Oh man, now we have a different relationship." If I can count on you. And so it's not. So I have to tell you my favorite Chick Fil A story, okay? Uh, please, please. So <laughs> and you've heard it before, but we got to tell uh, it to you. They're anyway. all good. Because <laughs> this is so. I go. I'm going through Chick Fil A, and I'm taking my son before he has an early morning class, and we were running late, and so I'm like, okay, we're just gonna go grab this stuff, and we grabbed breakfast, and and I had him go through the bag to make sure that we had because I was getting it for someone else. And he said, mom, they forgot the, what are the tater tots? The potato, the, uh, yeah, the hash browns. The, yes. The- they forgot why the hash browns. I'm like, are you kidding me? And this was my first time ever that they'd ever forgotten anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I'm like, okay, well, and I was frustrated. So I'm like, we're going to go back through and get, and get our, and get, and get our hash browns. So I went back through the line, which was not short. It was a mm-hmm. long line, Went mm-hmm. back through the line. They're like, we are so sorry. They give me an extra hash brown and we go home. I go home, I look in the bag and he was wrong. We had our hash browns. <laughs> and the first thought that I had, and I thought this was amazing and why, why I remember the story, but the first thought I had is I was like, why did I doubt Chick-fil-A? I should have oh, doubted myself my first and my son. <laughs> doubted your son. But no, I doubted Chick-fil-A and I will never do that again. I will always be like, nope, that was probably our mistake. That's how consistent they are. That's the game. And and, and listen, it's true. Not- they're not perfect, but if no, they, they're not perfect, but they but, are but consistent they enough. Enough consistency. Yep. That's the difference between consistent and perfect, right? It's close, but but there's a little room for you to be human. And if you get it enough, we will give you the benefit of the doubt. I, okay. I know people who literally like have told me that version of the story, yep. but they've said I must have ordered wrong. Like I must yeah. have just forgot to it tell must them. have been I did something wrong because Clearly they are so consistent. That's right. Yes. That's right. It, it's a powerful thing, consistency. And so okay, so I, I challenge them on that. Well, but how do you do that? What does that yeah. look like? And right. man, there's a lot of factors to it. But one of the things that we talk about is how do you boil this thing down into something that's bite-sized and measurable? right? Like what's the minimum thing you got to do to just what at the very least, when you don't have a lot of time, when you don't have a lot of stuff, like, can, can you measure it? Do you know? So, so I'll tell you one from my personal life that I challenged leaders with us talking about this two days ago with a client. Um, so physical fitness as a metaphor, I, I, so I grew up as an athlete. I think I mentioned, I did all that stuff on the side in between shows, loved it, played football and soccer and track and wrestling. And, and, and man, I worked hard. So I was in shows and then I was uh, doing sports and man, my calorie burn was crazy, right? Then I decide I'm out of this theater thing. And oh, by the way, I've done with sports and I kept eating like I was doing 12 <laughs> hours a day of sports. So I gained about 55 pounds uh, during those years. This, uh, and I'm I'm not super tall, so that, that I couldn't hide. It shows differently. Yes. yes, yes, it does. So I, my life was very physically different. I had a wake up call moment um, and I'm like, oh, I got to get this figured out. And I went through all these crash diets and back, lost it, gained it, lost it, gained it. And then I finally read something that was like, oh, and they said, you know, the single most predictive habit, if you have this habit, you're going to keep your weight off. And I was like, what? Weigh yourself every morning, get a bathroom mm-hmm. scale, weigh yourself every morning. So I have for like 10 or 12 years now weighed myself every morning. Uh, and listen, like the morning after Thanksgiving, that's not a fun weigh in. Uh, like, 
It's consequences. I just put on my board, my little uh, letter board that I have, happy Thanksgiving. Don't forget to turn your, turn your scale back 10 pounds this weekend <laughs> for the same, for the same yeah. reason. Cause I'm like, yep, I just need to, just for this weekend. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so, but the consistency of looking at it, that's so the inputs, mm -hmm. you consistently remind yourself. So for the business, we say, what's your, what's your scale, right? As a leader with my team, what do I look at at least weekly? Uh, mm -hmm. If you wait monthly, I find you drift. I mean, this is why this weighing of the scale is matters because, because dang it, as much as it's no fun after Thanksgiving morning, it's also a wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. I better do something to compensate for those 10 pounds um, or, or we're in trouble. So maybe right. I will say, yeah, I'm going to overeat today. Like it's Thanksgiving. I'm doing it. Right. Right. Um, but I do it wide, eyes wide open. I do it. And I don't forget versus in the past, I would drift. And like a month later, I'm like, dang. I gained 10 pounds this month, um, mm -hmm. whereas maybe yeah. I'll catch it and only gain two or three before I catch myself. So regular reviews and just say, hey, what is it? What is it? What is it? I will tell you, there's one other thing I talk to about leaders. If you've got a team and it's inconsistent, maybe the reason it's inconsistent is because nobody owns it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really harsh way of saying it, but it, it makes it stick in the mind. Like, the best way I've ever heard this described is, listen, if you want to starve your dog, then you need to assign five people to feed it. Okay. That's so true. <laughs> that is true. Like, yep. That's our family. <laughs> that's exactly right. Exactly. You, I thought you, wait, no. Who's, it wasn't uh, my job. No one asked me to do it. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. We, if we all own it, we might all have good intent. We all love the dog, mm -hmm. right? Nobody wants him to die, but if it's, and the, and the dog is um, a little more, sadly, this is a lot closer to home. I don't use the fish example because um, there's <laughs> a lot of actual dead fish in that story. You'll notice that there's no fish <laughs> yeah, in this little uh, fishbowl fish back there here. There's a be. reason why. <laughs> yes, because everybody's job was to so feed it, right? But what happens is when it's nobody's top priority, it gets the leftover time. And you know what? Life gets busy and some months there's no leftover time. Yeah. And so what you do is instead of making it a generically group owned thing in psychology, they call this a diffusion of responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. Responsibility is diffused among the whole group. Nobody feels the weight of it. Nobody's going home thinking like, Hey, how's the fish doing? Or, Hey, what about this sales call? Did somebody follow up with that team? Did I? So, so assigning somebody to own it. Now, what that looks like as an individual level, sometimes that's as simple as getting an accountability partner and saying, mm -hmm. Hey, I trust you. Will you check in with me maybe once a month and ask me how I'm doing? Because right. otherwise everyone else generally cares that I do well, but it's nobody's job to check in on me. And so I've done that as a trade with other buddies of mine and said like, listen, you're working on something. I'm working on something. Can we get together once a month and just like check in? Hey, how are you doing on your stuff? How are you doing on my stuff? And so, mm -hmm. so regular measurement, assigning somebody to own it. Um, there's a lot of these little tactics that, yeah, Here's what I don't, here's what I would say is that you don't do. The solution is not to try harder or care more. Okay? <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't motivate your way into consistency. Um, yeah, you don't. It's, it's, I mean, you, you gotta have enough motivation to start. Sure. But that's usually the problem. We, we, we run out of energy. Um, yeah. Back to my fitness example, like the classic stereotype is every January, all the regulars of a local workout gym quit coming. Yeah, everybody who uh, didn't turn their scale back, right? So yeah, <laughs> thinks they're still doing great. <laughs> yeah, and then they wake up and they're like, "I better do something." But by February, they have all run out of motivation, and it's not because, like, come February, I suddenly decided, like, you know, I really want to be fifteen pounds overweight. Like, I, 
working out. I'm good with this. No, I just run out of motivation. That is the least helpful way to stay consistent is to cross your fingers and say, but I really care about this. Right. Uh, You know, as we go into just, uh, just something you mentioned that I wanted to, for our streakers out there who listen to this on a regular basis, you talked about the the streak, what we call the streak of stepping on the habit, because yeah, it's intentional. Yeah. It's, it's I'm going to do this mm-hmm. every single day. And one of the areas that we look at is a lot of people start to think that that will be automatic, which is where they assign a habit, and it doesn't get into ever be automatic. And so I get delusional in thinking that, well, now I'm just going to do this without even yeah. thinking about it. And what you've described is exactly what we've seen in successful people like you and others is it's no... You live in life intentionally. You never put the most important things on automatic. In oh. fact, you're looking at it saying, I'm going to be so intentional about this. I'm going, I know for the last X number of days, years, months, weeks, I have done this thing. Mm-hmm. For example, I look at your book reading streak of, you know, yeah. reading, a, reading every single day and and the number of books that you've completed and how you've done those that's that's the neat part about what you're saying and what i see is this this whole idea is you live the life of the streaker as well as teach others that hey it's how many days in a row you can do this it's not the intensity at which you do this at it's the consistency over time yeah I was thinking too about, as you were talking about taking responsibility, I just had a really neat experience. So we've been streak, I've been working on streaking with my kids. And what I realized with my younger ones is that what I ended up doing is that I set a streak to work with them on something. It wasn't, it wasn't his streak. So I have my son chance is 11 and he came home. So he's in fifth grade. Totally get this. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in fifth grade. (laughs) Fifth grade's the year that they learn all the states and capitals as part of the curriculum. And so he came home and he's like, I need to have all the states and capitals memorized. And what's great is that years ago, I set a geography streak because I was always very self aware that I was lacking in my geography skills. Like I couldn't visualize where things were. And so years ago I set a streak and I started with the simplicity of, I don't know if I even know the 50 states. And so that's where I had started. And so I've got some great programs and through the years I've done more with that streak. And your streak is just to do do one thing with geography. It can be every day. Yeah. So even if I look something up and I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that was a part of that state or that ca- that counts as my geography right. streak. So when he came home and said, I, I need to learn the states and capitals, I was like, great, let's set a streak. But I had recognized that if that someone needed to have ownership and and he didn't have that ownership at that place yet. So I was like, I set a streak to work with him on his geography. And then he set the streak too, but it really was it's your streak. my streak. And so it's been interesting because it was the same streak, just do something with geography every day. And he'd have days, we have this app that we use, and he'd have days that he would be so excited, he would go through the 50 states three or four or five times practicing of that game. And then there were days that I would get in bed and go to check off my streak and think, we didn't do anything with geography today. And so, and this is the part that I found interesting is that, so what I would do is I would text him, even though I know he's asleep, and his phone isn't there. He's not going to get the text message till the morning. But I would say, hey, the capital of Colorado is Denver. I love you. (laughs) 
so that I could keep that streak <laughs> alive. Typical end of day mother text. Yes, right? yes. Like, the typical. That, here's that, our geography yeah. streak. I mean, you love you. Love that. Part. I love you. Yes, I you love you. Here's That's this. Hilarious. I love you. You'll see this in the morning. And yeah. and 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 over the last couple months that he's had oh, I that remember streak. One time she called him because it was like he was down in his room or no, just getting. He had just gone call. to bed. Yeah. And you said, "What's the capital of Hawaii?" <laughs> He said Honolulu. And I'm so, like, great. Our good. streak is alive. And the interesting I... thing is that you would think that that little, that, you know, what difference is that little thing going to make? But what it does is it keeps it intentional. Mm. So then he came home, literally, this happened yesterday. yesterday. I'm, I'm picking him up from play practice. He's in Aladdin. Nice. So I'm picking him up from play practice. And, and he goes, mom, the best thing happened today. And I'm like, what happened? He goes, so we took a quiz on the states and capitals. Mm -hmm. And I was the only kid that got 100%. And he goes, it was great because we just went over those this morning and I, I, I knew them. So it was testament to me that a little bit consistently over time really does make a difference. But what I heard when you were talking is I'm like, I had to take ownership for that. So the streak was, we're gonna do this together. And it doesn't have to be big every day. It just has to be every day. And over time, it's really like to me that I was like, okay, this actually yeah. works. Yeah, that's so, I, that's what I love about you saying taking ownership. Yep. Someone has, has to take, to take that responsibility and that ownership. Yeah, no, I just went through. We're just started this experiment, sort of similar with my son. So, so he's a night owl who hates bedtime, um, and and I can't complain too much because he gets it for me. My poor wife. <laughs> She's a normal, like, you know, wake up, go to bed 10 or 11, wake up seven or eight, everything's great. And then I, I left to myself, I would go to bed at two or 3 a.m. and wake up at 10 or 11. I don't do that because I've learned to live in a world that doesn't play with me. <laughs> Time but, that the world functions on. <laughs> dang it. But my son is still fighting bedtime every night because his brain's on fire, right? I get right. it. Like, you got to lay down. So for a long time, we were having this, like dad's making me go to bed. I, so I And so it was our job to chase him down and get him into bed every night. And, and literally, I, so I was working with my coach. So I'm an executive coach. I have a coach myself because the process is valuable, right? It's not, yeah. right. but I can't think it's that the, somebody asking me questions and reflecting back. So my coach was challenging me going, it sounds like you own his bedtimes. Mm -hmm. he, there's no self-ownership of his, he, his, entire setup like you've set up is like he's trying to figure out how long he can push it before you get really mad and you know yep. he's in trouble right like what's in it for him and so we are starting i got an app out and we're starting a streak can he get five nights a week because of school nights can he get five nights a week in bed by on by this certain time and if he does he gets a point and if he gets enough weeks in a row he gets more points and but but trying to give him some like this is good for you right yeah. Because because his eleven year old brain can't wrap it. I mean, he can intellectually grasp it, but at nine o'clock at night, when his brain's on fire, this idea that tomorrow morning is going to come and punch you in the face, uh, yes. that, it just doesn't too far away. It doesn't. Yeah. But today, I love. I, I feel awesome. So and yeah. I love I love because I have lots of kids. I love helping kids understand more about themselves, and then being able to take responsibility and say, look. Other people don't have to do this, but I do have to do this yes. because this is where, and I love that you're teaching them the strength of it. And then also the, the challenge of it, where you're like, look, you have ideas and you're excited all the time. And that is great. And we're going to harness that and it's going to be awesome. But we also have to learn that that's part of the challenge. And so yeah. I love that. Yeah, so good. Really um, 
Yeah. And, it, you know, I, it's funny, all this grand leadership stuff. Um, I can't, can't think of a single thing that doesn't apply to my kids. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe the ultimate leadership role in my life is being a dad and trying yeah. to you know, pour into them well. So, I yeah, think it's, so. it's fascinating. We have enjoyed this conversation and so we can keep much. going forever. Just just in our in our few more minutes here that we have, you just started your podcast. And what yes. I was curious as to you, you'd put it off for many, many years and you said, OK, I'm going to jump it. I'm going to jump in the podcast soup. What what was it that led you to that? How come you decided that? And then tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So part of it was um, as my company grew, I finally had the time to do it. So in the early days, mm-hmm. I was on every project, right? And as we grew, I, I, we'd add people and we do projects with three, four people sometimes, but but there was no work project with a client that I wasn't a part of. Mm-hmm. We got to the point where we were doing more than, than can be done by me. So the training and the systematizing, the stuff, honestly, I could get away with in the early years, like, ah, listen, just I'll explain it to you. We'll figure it out. Like now I had to set people up to do great work, even if I never showed up. And once that happened, man, the company took off because now I wasn't the bottleneck anymore. Yeah. And so really, then I put a team together to like manage and run. And, and about 18 months ago, we got to the point where there was nothing in the company that I was the only guy doing it. Like somebody owns this and so put a leader on it, right? I put leaders right. on everything. And then, then it's like, okay, now I get to pick my favorite projects and the ones that fit my unique stuff the most, but but I don't have to, what would I start doing with my time? And we started processing and thinking and, and out of that came the podcast, man. Like I think now why, why a podcast of all the things I could do? Um, part of it is because of my natural wiring. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm having a blast talking. Yeah, this is so much fun right now. <laughs> right? Like, this is work. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I do this for a job. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, get together with cool people, tell funny stories, <laughs> process stuff. Yes. So, so that was part of it. Also, I mean, honestly, it's a good sample of what it's like to work with me and my team. Like, I, yeah. hey, listen to us talk. Listen to how I think. Um, cause a lot of what people hire us to do is jump in the room with them. They put their stuff on the table and we process it together. And so whether that's a grand strategy or an individual issue they're dealing with. Um, so it was like, this is fun. This is mm-hmm. right down the, the center of the fairway of the kind of stuff people are hiring us for anyway. Um, and then honestly, I will tell you, it was a fun way for me to get to know new people. Because um, yeah. they could say, hey, man, I, I think you guys are great. I've read your books. I got, you're awesome, which is true of you guys. I'm literally saying this about you. But now <laughs> the chance to, hey, this podcast is a great excuse, if you will, for us to hang out that, that yeah, it's like, well, I mean, I've always thought they're great, but hanging out with them, be a little like, I just call a random author. Like, can I just talk to you for an hour? Yes. Weird. But you know what? I have a podcast or you have a podcast. Let's get together mm-hmm. and talk. And suddenly it's like, I get to hang out with new people and learn stuff. And so it's one of these things, life principle wise, I, I generally say, if you can find something that's going to accomplish multiple purposes for you at the same time, then you should do more of that thing. So like oh, I learn, my clients are getting value out of it. Um, I'm meeting new people. It, it's a shot of energy in my day, not a drain. Like, wait, wait, you can do all that with one 30 minute conversation. Okay. Yeah. Let's. Let's put yeah. that on the calendar and do it. So, so it's been, it's been even more fun than I expected it to be. And um, yeah, super. I exciting. knew, I knew when, you know, when I, cause I started reaching out to you via LinkedIn and we started communicating that way. And I, I knew then that he was a kindred spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> of, <laughs> no, but cause you had been reaching out. 
Yeah. But then I think when the Brandon Sanderson post came, that's when Jeff was like, was okay, like, it's a done deal. It's I fun. don't know why I haven't reached out before. <laughs> Which I have to say, um, just pure plug. He's got a podcast with him and one of his best buddies. And it started random. Have you listened to Intentionally Blank? Have you heard this? No. I, I, I have. I've heard have of it. Heard but of it? Well, because I've listened to him and his buddy talk, but okay. I haven't heard oh. Intentionally Blank. Him and Dan Wells, who's another author. Um, and it started off with Brandon just needing to sign books. Um, and he's nothing else to do. So let's record some chit chat while I sign books on the weekly. And it became its own thing. And now it's like they go to conferences and the two of them do like a live episode and everybody loves it. It's How fun. Just, now I need to listen. It's super so fun. fun. So like as a podcaster and a Brandon Sanderson fan, I'll just, I'll leave that little nugget for you guys. You're awesome. Well, that's fantastic. This Did you have another a, thought? No, I just love this. Thank you. We have had such a great it's time. Such a great time. How, so as, as people listen and fellow streakers, um, Scott is just absolutely wonderful. If you need, if you're thinking about bringing him into your business, please listen to look at all the different areas Areas where he is. Just give us a rundown of how people can get a hold of you. Yeah. So to check my stuff out, what I'm doing, my podcast and some of my individual books and things, you can go to scottwozniak.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-O-Z-N-I-A-K.com. Uh, and then if you want to see what the company's up to, um, you can go to Swaz Consulting. That's S-W-O-Z consulting.com. And all the info is there. Um, yeah, you can find my social links and everything at either one of those sites. So uh, because I had such a great time, and I think mm -hmm. you did too, and we all did, when the book is out next year, we'll schedule it to be back on the Streaking Podcast so that we can talk awesome. about it. Yeah, that we would so love that. Yeah, no, that's, and we'll have to like catch up on which latest Sanderson book you've read. Between yes. Now. Yes, absolutely. Well, Streakers, we've had a wonderful time talking with Scott today. Hopefully you've enjoyed it as well. And if you are interested in getting going on anything that Scott talked about or also with streaking a book. That's the other thing that we could talk about is streaking a book, how you take the concepts and principles from a book and start streaks on them. Check out the streaking app. You can download it at the Apple app store or at Google play and it's streaking S T R E A K I N G. Also, you can buy the book wherever books are sold streaking the book, the simple practice of conscious, conscious, consistent actions that make life changing result. And check that out and you can learn how to set your own streaks until we all talk again. Keep streaking. It's the little things that make a better